We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 449 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, November 23rd, 2022. It is the day before Thanksgiving 2022. A day on which roads and airports are packed. A day on which basically no work gets done. And that's if you're even working. Uh, Well, we are working. We are the saps who are working on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. We are here for you. And it is nice to be with you wherever you may be. Perhaps you're traveling right now as we speak. Perhaps you're cooking right now as we speak. Uh, Perhaps you're doing something that I don't even want to know about right now as we speak. Whatever the case, hey, we don't judge. This is a judgment-free zone. And I do say to you and yours, happy Thanksgiving. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Dan Snyder. You know, actually, there's another Redskins Thanksgiving drop that I like, but it doesn't get nearly the run that the Dan Snyder one gets. Jay Gruden, during his time as Skins head coach one year, well before Thanksgiving, had the following exchange with a reporter. This was great. We're um, a, a week away from Thanksgiving. What is your favorite Thanksgiving tradition, or what, what do you like, enjoy most about Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving? We're talking about Thanksgiving now? Yeah, the annoyance of Jay Gruden with that question was palpable. Jay was great. Jay, like, could never hide his true feelings. Jay could be like Jim Carrey in the movie Liar, Liar, when Carrey becomes incapable of telling a lie. Uh, Anyway, yes, we are talking about Thanksgiving, and we are talking lots of commanders on this installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Coming up on the show, a conversation with Pro Football Focus senior data analyst Nick Ackridge, Uh, who will provide a high-level breakdown of the commanders. Uh, Nick has done the actual PFF grading of Washington players for a number of the team's games in recent seasons, including this season. Uh, He also is a commanders fan, and so we are going to cover a lot of ground with the team, including insight on quarterback Taylor Heineke, who, by the way, now at his online store, is selling a t-shirt with a cartoon image of him unloading a pass while saying in a bubble quote, 
quote, eff it, Terry down there somewhere, end quote. How great is that? Even Taylor, even Tay-Tay himself is poking fun at himself and his uh, interceptable passes. Maybe it's not so funny after all. But yeah, Nick and I will talk Taylor Heineke. We also will discuss running backs Bride Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson. Uh, We will discuss the offensive line, including this rotation at right tackle involving Cornelius Lucas and Samuel Cosme. Uh, We will discuss why interior defensive lineman Deron Payne, who of course has been so good this season, has an overall grade for PFF for this season, that's so low. Uh, We will discuss why safeties Cameron Curl and Derek Forrest have overall PFF grades for this season that are so high and a lot more. Uh, You hear me reference pro football focus a lot when talking commanders. The man responsible for so much of the team's PFF data, Nick Ackridge, is coming up on the show. Uh, Also on the show, next segment, in fact, I have a, shall we say, smorgasbord of commanders topics, including Two Redskins greats, linebacker London Fletcher and receiver Henry Ellard being named as modern era player semifinalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2023 and the commanders on Tuesday announcing details of the honoring of legendary skin safety Sean Taylor this Sunday. Yeah, off the disaster that was the retirement of Sean's number 21 now two Octobers ago. We're going to try this again. Uh, honoring Sean Taylor on what will be the 15th anniversary of his death. Uh, a scheduling update for this podcast. You know, I've been thinking a lot about how I'm going to handle this week, Thanksgiving week. So here's what I've decided to do. No show for Thursday, because that's Thanksgiving. Uh, No show for Friday, because there's little, if anything, happening in Washington, D.C. area sports on Thursday. The commanders aren't even practicing on Thursday, but I will have a show for you for Saturday, because there's actually a good bit happening on Friday. So look out for, be prepared for a Saturday morning installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Yes, the rare Saturday morning installment of the pod. I do not do Saturday shows often, but I will have one for you this Saturday. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Rich on Commander's Edge defender Chase Young, who the team on Monday afternoon activated to the 53-man roster, writes Rich, I keep hearing how much of an impact Chase Young will have upon his long-awaited return. Am I wrong to be skeptical of his impact? Number one, it's reasonable to assume that his injury has resulted in some loss of physical ability, maybe speed, maybe power, maybe explosiveness, maybe flexibility. Number two, he has only had success against lesser opponents. He was uh, shut out in the playoff game against Tampa. Number three, he did not attend OTAs in the 2021 offseason, instead choosing to make that money. <laughs> uh, being shut out in Tampa did not bother him. This lack of competitiveness is concerning. Number four, 2021 was a ho-hum season for him prior to his injury. In summary, Young is a physical specimen who is over-reliant on his speed and power. He lacks a fully developed collection of pass rush moves. His decision to skip OTAs in 2021 puts his dedication to his craft in question. Young's lack of discipline threatens to disrupt the continuity of the current defensive line. 
Am I the only one who feels this way? Why does everyone assume that Chase will improve this defense? I don't want to go back to Rod Rivera making excuses of Young (laughs) being chipped. Uh, Thank you for the email, Rich. Uh, Yeah, that did get annoying last season, the frequency with which head coach Rod Rivera would talk about Chase Young getting chipped as if getting chipped (laughs) was some new, groundbreaking, revolutionary tactic that was impossible to overcome. So I actually don't hear everyone assuming that Chase Young is going to improve the commander's defense. What I actually have heard and read a lot of is, hey, hopefully Chase doesn't screw things up, you know? Hopefully Chase doesn't mess up a good thing in this commander's defensive line. Uh, We'll see. Keep two things in mind with Chase Young. Uh, A, Ron Rivera already has set the bar low. Uh, He did so during his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday afternoon. I got into this on Tuesday's show, episode 448. Ron made it very clear that Chase is going to be on a snap count, and that's if he does play. Like, Ron wouldn't even guarantee that Chase will play in a game against the Atlanta Falcons at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at 1. B, I would hope that Chase Young got humbled by last season and that Chase learned some lessons from last season. Because, yeah, he, prior to suffering the torn right ACL, was having a very disappointing season. And what's wild is that his disappointing season was a major topic leading into the game in which he suffered the torn right ACL. Uh, Chase suffered the torn right ACL in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field on November 14th, 2021. Uh, That game took place off Chase's disappointing 2021 season, having been a major topic in recent days, including Rod Rivera in a post-practice press conference on November 8th, 2021, spending the bulk of the near 17-minute press conference answering questions about Chase Young and being very upfront and specific about Chase's struggles and what he could be doing better. And, you know, Ron didn't trash Chase, but Ron addressed Chase's struggles in a manner in which most coaches do not address player struggles. And Ron, in those comments, made it pretty clear that Chase, as we had been thinking, had been among those Washington players who, in the 2021 regular season, had not always adhered to what they were supposed to be doing. Remember, Ron last season would like cryptically talk about guys not always adhering to the defensive scheme and guys not always displaying rush discipline. And it became crystal clear that Chase Young was among those who Ron was talking about. Uh, Chase's disappointing 2021 season was a big topic, and then he got hurt. And then the topic of his disappointing 2021 season essentially went away. But I would hope that Chase has grown from last season. We shall see. You know, the commanders this coming offseason have to decide on exercising the fifth-year option in Chase Young's rookie contract. Uh, I still would consider it more likely than unlikely that the team will exercise that option. But, you know, it is something to think about given where he is at. And if he comes back here and he doesn't look good, okay, if he looks like a shell of the player who we saw in his great 2020 rookie season, you do have some things to think about. You know, it's been kind of funny, all of the 
Deron Payne contract talk and this notion that's out there of, well, you can't afford to pay Deron big money when you're already paying interior defensive lineman John Allen big money, and you need to budget paying big money to edge defenders Montez Sweat and Chase Young. Yeah, I'm not so sure about Chase. I don't think you should just be assuming that the team will be paying, should be paying Chase Young big money down the line. Hopefully, he ends up being great enough to where you feel like you have to pay the guy big money. But we're not there yet. And I don't think that we should just be assuming that we are going to be there. And it was interesting that Ron Rivera, in a sit-down conversation with Commander's Insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington on Monday, uh, said that the team is going to try to keep Deron Payne beyond this season. Now, the team, of course, can use the franchise tag. So if the team really wants to keep Duran, the team can keep Duran. I don't know how likely it is anymore that you're going to be able to sign this guy to a long-term contract beyond this season, given that he's headed toward unrestricted free agency after this season. This is part of why I did not like how the team handled Duran last offseason and reportedly not even talking contract extension with him, but also uh, not trading him. Like, with a guy like that, You either need to be talking extension with him or you need to be trading him. It's one extreme or the other. Washington did neither. And now our team is back in an oh so familiar position of perhaps having to use the franchise tag. Uh, Email from Rich Polin on the commander's fan base, especially off it representing so well at NRG Stadium this past Sunday afternoon for the team's 23-10 win at the Houston Texans, writes Rich, it is properly said that the state of the fan base has been diminished as evidenced by empty seats and takeovers by opposing fans at FedEx Field. When I moved away from D.C. to Portland, I initially came back once a year for a game, but after four or five years after the second retirement of head coach Joe Gibbs, that stopped, mostly because of frustration over the owner. I would still come to see the Skins play in Seattle, where in spite of the rabid local fan base, there was always a good number of DC fans. I would submit to you that the fan base is hibernating. I went to the Texans game and my section was at least 50% in burgundy and gold. And overall, at least a third of the fans were Commanders slash Skins fans. I spoke to a few and many like me avoid home games so as not to support, quote, (laughs) Mr. Snyder, end quote. Most of these folks weren't Houston natives. They came from the DMV, Toronto, Manchester, England, California, the Midwest, etc. I also spoke to several Native Americans who were very upset about the name change for what that's worth. I truly believe that with a new owner and a better stadium, we can get back to the considerable home field advantage that I remember from the glory years. Uh, Thank you for the email, Rich. Much appreciated. You know, what Rich wrote about in that email is something that I have felt for years. Uh, Yes, there has been an erosion of the Redskins slash Washington football teams slash Commanders fan base. To argue otherwise would be ridiculous. But what I think is the case with a lot of people who make up that erosion is that they are, as Rich put it, in hibernation. Uh, In other words, if the team got really good again, and or if the Snyders sold the team, then I do think that a good number of these people would come back. 
I also think that while there are people who truly have stopped being fans of the team, what there also are are people who still follow and care about the team, but don't spend money on the team. So people who say, listen to podcasts about the team and read about the team and watch the team's games, but don't buy tickets to games at FedEx Field. Don't buy merchandise for the team, etc. Because the truth is this, as much as people talk about the erosion of the fan base of the team, it still is by far the number one sports entity in the Washington, D.C. area. There remains a lot more interest in the commanders than in any other team, pro or college, in this area. And that's just the truth. The commanders, for all of their problems, remain by far the number one sports team in the Washington, D.C. area in terms of interest. And so if the team ever does truly get good again, and or if slash when the Snyders sell the team, then I do think that you're going to see things start to pick up in terms of fan support for the team. Now, there certainly are people who will never be back, in part because of the name change, no doubt. But I think that there are even more people who would be back if the team truly got good again and or if slash when the Snyders sell the team. Well, who knows who will be buying the Commanders, but I do know that right now actually is a sneaky good time to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area. Yes, true story. Uh, Prices are coming down. Moody's Analytics is predicting an overall year-to-year housing price decline of 6% nationally and about a 10% fall from the price peak this past June. Housing prices are falling. Now, actually, is a very good time to buy a home, even with the increases in mortgage rates. You could always refinance when the rates come down, and they will. If you are looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, if you want to take advantage of the current marketplace, contact real estate agent Kellen Hunt. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt understands the current market, but he's not just some know-it-all. He is here for you to listen to you, to hear what you want, and then determine the best way of going about getting you what you want, no matter your age or situation in life. His website says it all, CloseItWithKell.com. Kellen Hunt is a closer. Kellen Hunt will close you buying the home that you want. And Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. If you are looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, if anyone who you know is looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, the name to know is Kellen Hunt. Take advantage of the current marketplace with Kellen Hunt. Visit Close It with Kel. Dot com. That's close it with Kel, K-E-L-L dot com. Book your call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit closeitwithkel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Well, before we get to our special guest, Pro Football Focus Senior Data Analyst Nick Ackridge talking commanders, uh, I have a variety of commanders items that I want to get into with you right now. The team's linebacker depth may be improving. Uh, The team on Tuesday designated linebacker Milo Eifler 
to return to practice, beginning a 21-day practice window for him to be activated to the 53-man roster. Uh, so yes, our guy Milo may be on the way back here. Uh, he has been on the reserve injured list since October 8th due to a hamstring injury. Uh, the commanders have been really short at linebacker lately. Cole Holcomb has been inactive for each of the last four games due to a foot injury. David Mayo has been inactive for each of the last three games due to a hamstring injury. And so the commanders have been playing a lot of Jamin Davis and John Bostic in recent games. Uh, Jamin has played at 100% of the team's defensive snaps in three of the last four games. And John has played on at least 65% of the team's defensive snaps in each of the last three games. He and the win at the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday Night Football in Week 10 played on 86% of the commander's defensive snaps. Uh, not that Milo Eifler necessarily would even play ahead of John Bostic, but at least old Milo uh, can't be an option. Uh, the commanders this past March re-signed Milo Eifler, who had been an exclusive rights-free agent. Washington acquired him last December 7th when the team signed him off the Miami Dolphins practice squad. Speaking of linebackers, uh, one of the best linebackers in Redskins history, London Fletcher, is a semifinalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, we on Tuesday had the announcement of 28 modern era player semifinalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2023. Among those semifinalists is former Skins linebacker London Fletcher. Uh, also among the semifinalists is former Skins receiver Henry Ellard. Uh, interesting that each guy is a player who initially gained fame with the Rams, right? London with the St. Louis Rams, Henry with the Los Angeles Rams. Now, it's impossible as a fan of the Commanders to see this news about London Fletcher and Henry Ellard and not like immediately think about all of the other Redskins greats who should already be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Joe Jacoby should have been in years ago, no doubt. He was one of the best offensive linemen of the 1980s and early 1990s. Brian Mitchell should have been in years ago, no doubt. He's one of the five best return men in NFL history. Uh, additionally, there are very compelling Hall of Fame cases for a number of other all-time Redskins greats. Uh, tight end Jerry Smith, receiver Gary Clark, edge defender Dexter Manley, uh, interior defensive lineman Dave Butts, who just passed away on November 4th. Uh, there are others who you can bring up, but you get the idea. The franchise remains woefully underrepresented in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I mean, the Jacoby thing is an embarrassment that he still is not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame after all of these years is shameful. But anyway, I do want to salute London Fletcher and Henry Ellard. Each guy should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We'll see what happens here. But London played for the Redskins for seven seasons, 2007 through 2013. He is one of the best free agent signings in team history. Uh, the Skins had him for his age 32 through age 38 seasons, but he ended up being very good during his time with the team. You know, London, for the 2012 NFC East winning Redskins, had five interceptions in that 2012 regular season, what was his age 37 season. He was named NFC Defensive Player of the Month for December 2012. He was voted to the Associated Press's All-Pro second teams for the 2011 and 2012 seasons, and he was an Ironman. London Fletcher never missed a regular season game 
in his NFL career, 1998 through 2013. He played in 256 of a possible 256 regular season games. Uh, Pro Football Reference has a metric called approximate value or AV. It's kind of like wins above replacement war in baseball. London over his seven regular seasons with the Skins had a total approximate value of 72. So he with the Skins averaged an approximate value of 10.29 per regular season. Uh, That is really good. And then like London Fletcher, Henry Ellard was a very successful free agent signing for the Redskins. Uh, He played for the Skins from 1994 through 1997. And then for part of the 1998 season of having been with the New England Patriots in the 98 season. But Ellard was tremendous for the Skins over his first three seasons with the team, 1994 through 1996. Uh, Those were the first three seasons for Norv Turner, of course, a father of Commander's Offensive Coordinator Scott Turner as Skins head coach. Ellard, over those three seasons, had three consecutive thousand receiving yard regular seasons. But it wasn't just that. Uh, Those were his age 33 through age 35 seasons. Uh, And the Skins did not exactly have stellar quarterback play over those three seasons. And yet he had the three consecutive thousand receiving yard regular seasons. And he averaged a lot of yards per reception in each of those seasons. The 1994 regular season, 18.9 yards per catch. The 1995 regular season, 17.9 yards per catch. The 1996 regular season, an NFL best 19.5 yards per catch. Yeah, Henry Ellard in his age 35 season led the NFL in yards per catch at 19.5. And then also on Tuesday were two other announcements of note. Uh, Commander's receiver Terry McLaurin on Tuesday was announced as the team's nominee for the Art Rooney Sportsmanship Award. And the Commanders on Tuesday announced details regarding the honoring of Redskins safety Sean Taylor this Sunday. Uh, (laughs) uh Uh-oh, here we go again. Uh, Now, we knew that the team would be doing something for Sean Taylor this Sunday. Uh, So no, this is not some last-second rush job of an honoring of Sean, as was the case for the retirement of his number 21 in October 2021. What a debacle that was. Uh, This Sunday is November 27th, 2022. Uh, Sean died on November 27th, 2007. So this Sunday is the 15th anniversary of his death, of him having been shot in an armed invasion of his home in Florida earlier in the month of November 2007. He was just 24. I mean, if he was still alive, he still wouldn't even be 40. Uh, But the honoring of Sean Taylor at this Sunday afternoon's game against the Atlanta Falcons at FedEx Field will include the unveiling of a Sean Taylor memorial. Uh, Says the team, quote, Prior to the start of our game against the Falcons on November 27th, we will unveil a permanent Sean Taylor Memorial installation at FedEx Field. The unveiling ceremony will begin at 11.45 a.m. in the East End Zone on the concourse at Section 132. All fans with tickets to the game are welcome to attend the installation unveiling 
end quote. Uh, so this was referred to as a Sean Taylor statue by some people on Tuesday. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I think it's interesting, though, that the team kept calling this a Sean Taylor memorial installation or a Sean Taylor installation and did not use the word statue. Is there a difference between a memorial installation and a statue or between an installation and a statue? I'm not sure. Uh, if we have any statue experts listening to the podcast, uh, hit me up, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Uh, but yeah, Sean Taylor is going to be honored in a major way this Sunday. We certainly can say that. Uh, also, Commanders players this Sunday on their helmets will have number 21 decals, and Sean's daughter, Jackie, will be the Commander's honorary captain for the game and participate in the coin toss before kickoff. And the team is unleashing the limited edition Sean Taylor merchandise collection, uh, says the team, quote, designed and inspired by Sean Taylor's daughter, Jackie Taylor, we're launching the Sean Taylor Legacy Project limited edition merchandise. The collection includes a jersey, sweatshirts, t-shirts, and hats. All items from the collection will be available on Sunday, November 27th at the Commander's Team Store at FedEx Field and online end quote. Now, I do want to point out that per the team, quote, all proceeds from this merchandise launch will benefit gun violence prevention initiatives, end quote. So the Sean Taylor Legacy Project Limited Edition merchandise would not appear to be a money grab by the team. Uh, it's important to point that out. You know, I think you always need to be cognizant of the fine print, okay? But at least the way this was phrased, right? All proceeds from this merchandise launch will benefit gun violence prevention initiatives. It certainly would seem that the money uh, from the merchandise sales uh, will be going to a good cause. Look, Sean Taylor is a legend, all right? In part, of course, because of the fact that he was murdered. It still is sickening to think about how his life ended. But let's be honest, okay? What the commanders are doing in honoring Sean Taylor this Sunday is obviously a makeup job for the inexcusable debacle that was the retirement of his number 21 last season. Just to refresh your memory, October 17th, 2021, the then Washington football team fell to 2-4 and four with a 31-13 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field. The game took place during Washington's annual alumni homecoming weekend and was the game at which Washington retired Sean Taylor's number 21. Washington incredibly didn't announce that it was retiring Sean's number 21 at this game until Thursday morning, October 14th, 2021, a mere three days before the game. The ceremony at which the number 21 was retired was rushed and anticlimactic. The team staged a photo op for Sean Taylor's family outside of FedEx Field in front of a bunch of portable toilets. I kid you not. Yes, that happened. Uh, the team had family and acquaintances of Chiefs players standing in an area near the field that included a painted number 21 on the turf, resulting 
in Jackson Mahomes, the brother of Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes, doing a TikTok dance on the painted number 21. The entire day was a giant, inexplicable, sloppy mess. You can't overstate the extent to which that day was botched by the team. I felt so bad for Sean Taylor's family. It did not deserve that. And so we have (laughs) Sean Taylor tribute take two this Sunday. Uh, You know, there's a part of me that just wishes the team would let Sean Taylor rest in peace. You know how we say rest in peace when someone dies? The team over the years has constantly brought up Sean to where it at times has felt like exploitation. And I know that that's a very cynical thing to say. And I'm not saying that the team is necessarily exploiting Sean's death because I'm not a mind reader. I don't know what truly is behind the constant bringing up of Sean Taylor and the constant attempts to pay tribute to Sean. But man, if you follow this team closely like I do and like I know so many of you do, the team has brought up Sean Taylor a lot over the years. And who knows, perhaps the intentions truly have been good, you know? Perhaps Sean's family very much likes and appreciates the attention. But last year, his jersey retirement out of nowhere, and then the retirement getting butchered beyond recognition. Now this year, what I'm guessing will be a much nicer tribute, but still, this is yet another tribute. I don't know. The constant playing of the Sean Taylor card is becoming a bit much. And you're being naive if you don't at least wonder what the true motivations behind it are. I.e., we have a hard time selling tickets. If we play the Sean Taylor card, that might sell a few more tickets. But it's cool that his daughter Jackie's involved. And I tell you what, you know, you can never say that the team hasn't honored Sean Taylor, all right? That's one thing for which you can never criticize the team not honoring Sean Taylor enough. Uh, I just hope that this Sunday goes well. I hope that the memorial installation looks good. And most importantly, I hope that Sean's family has a good time and feels good about what goes down. Up next, a welcome on Pro Football Focus senior data analyst, Nick Ackridge, for a deep dive on the Commanders. Uh, Nick is a Commanders fan, so he knows a lot about the team and cares a lot about the team. But, you know, Nick is far from just some homer, okay? And he actually has been responsible for the PFF grades for Washington players for a bunch of games in recent seasons, including this season. So he has studied the team and watched tape of the team for years. Uh, Nick knows his stuff, and my conversation with him is straight ahead. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Commanders are rolling. Five wins in six games. There is a renewed excitement with and energy to their season. To say nothing of the potential slash likely ownership change. Uh, Now's a great time to get on board with the Al Galdi podcast. Advertising on the pod works and is very affordable. You'll reach thousands of people in the Washington, D.C. area every episode. Hit us up. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Believe it or not, the Commanders winning five of six games marks the first time since the 2015 season that the team has won five games in a six-game stretch in a regular season. A lot of good vibes with the team off it improving to six and five with the 23-10 win at the Houston Texans this past Sunday afternoon. Big game against the five and six Atlanta Falcons at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at one. Time now to go in-depth on the Commanders, and I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, Pro Football Focus Senior Data Analyst Nick Ackridge. Uh, when you hear about Washington players and their PFF grades, that often has been the work of Nick Ackridge. Uh, and Nick also happens to be a big Commanders fan. Uh, you can follow Nick on Twitter at PFF underscore Nick Ackridge, and his last name is spelled A K R. I-D-G-E. Hey, Nick, how are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me back. So as some of you listening likely know, uh, Nick, on the days after Commander's Games, tweets out who the highest graded Commander's players were in the games. Nick, these day after the game tweets, man, have become highly anticipated. I hope that you know that. Yes, no, I know. I um, I always dread it when the grades don't really kind of <laughs> they might not match up with the box score or, you know, some of the bigger plays that we see and the grades don't really match up. I always dread sending it. But, um, no, I, I, I know people anticipate that. And I tweeted out the night before that um, that it just jokingly I'm saying sources are telling me that the, the grades are going to be good. So kind of give people a, a good anticipation. And, yeah, they're ready for it. And the retweets and likes start flying. But if it's bad, trust me, I hear about it all day. Have you... <laughs> ever considered putting out fake grades just to mess with people tweeting out fake grades like saying that you know Jonathan Allen's grade for the win at the Texans was 16.4 or something like that that would be funny it would be I've considered it but <laughs> I also realized that that would get me backlash on Twitter and from my co-workers and probably higher up in the company so I um if I have PFF in my handle and in my bio I'm gonna 
have to stick to what's on the website. <laughs> I got you. Well, we don't want you to get in trouble. Uh, before we get into the high-level analysis of the Commanders, uh, you are a fan of the team. It is five and one since the four-game losing streak. Uh, the team is a half game behind the Seattle Seahawks for the NFC's third and final wild card spot. Uh, where are you on where the Commanders are at right now? Yeah, this is kind of where I thought they would be. Um, I obviously thought it was with would be with Carson Wentz, but just kind of a, a five hundred team that is kind of up and down and really. Um, you know, consistently average. I think that's kind of a, the best way I can put it. Um, they're a very good defense now. It's really started to turn around and click. Um, the offense is still really struggling. I mean, the run game has been good, but it's almost been good. But you're still averaging like three to four yards a carry. It's, it's not like a dominant rushing attack yet. Um, I think they're just really sticking to it. Um, but yeah, I think it's just kind of an average, average season right now. Um, it's, it's great to be where we are considering the start we had. Um, but you know, I, I think it's kind of where I anticipated and where a lot of fans anticipated just kind of hovering around that 500 level and a little above and a little below. All right. Just so we know how many commanders games for this season, have you actually graded for pro football focus? Uh, I think I've done about five or six. Um, usually when they're in the 1 PM schedule, uh, that's when I get them. Um, yeah, I think I'm getting them again next week. I had their offense this past week, but yeah, usually if they're playing at 1 PM, which I think they are the rest of the year, um, I'm usually grading one side of the ball. Okay. So the quarterback situation, uh, we know that head coach Rod Rivera is moving forward with Taylor Heineke as a starting quarterback. Uh, we know that the team is four and one with Taylor as a starter this season. Uh, we know that there is an extreme likability with Taylor, we also know that for as many good things that Taylor does do, the pro football focus stats for Taylor remain rather underwhelming. His overall PFF grade for the 2022 regular season is just 50.3. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Would you say that what Taylor is doing this season is changing your perception of him or reinforcing your perception of him? You know, th- this is this is who Taylor is. Uh, we this is this is kind of what we've come to expect. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun at times, and it's going to be extremely, extremely frustrating. Um, I've always kind of thought that him and Carson are the same um, sort of quarterback in, in the fact that you know you will have some wow plays. Most of the time, you'll have some really, really head scratching and dumb plays, but you'll have wow plays. Um, they just do it in different ways. But yeah, this is just kind of who Heineke is. I mean, I, our grades are just going to be lower because he's he's had a lot of turnover-worthy plays that haven't been capitalized on by the, by the defense, and that's just kind of luck right now. Um, you, know, you saw a few these past couple weeks. To, there was one, the, the bad overthrow to Terry that was dropped by the Texans. And, you know, that could change the perception on, on Heineke if, if those are caught. And we, we're still going to track those no matter what. You know, it's not up to him if, if a defender is going to catch it or whatnot. But yeah, I think that's just kind of explains who he is. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be a roller coaster. And it's kind of what we all are expecting now. I, on Tuesday's show, episode 447, talked about the Taylor Heineke magic, the Taylor Heineke Kavorka. And I brought up the hilarious data from Pro Football Focus on Taylor Heineke 
versus Carson Wentz. Per PFF, Commander's pass catchers over Taylor's five starts in the 2022 regular season have zero drops. But Commander's pass catchers over Carson's six starts in the 2022 regular season have 13 drops. Uh, also for PFF, Taylor over his five starts in the 2022 regular season has had five interceptions that were dropped. Meantime, Carson over his six starts in the 2022 regular season has had three interceptions that were dropped. Have you ever seen anything like this between two quarterbacks on the same team? Yeah, I, I can't. I can't say I've ever seen it before, and, it, and it's just, it's weird that all the drops are coming on the defensive side for Taylor, which is very, very lucky. He's on a lucky streak. I mean, this is the Heineke magic that we've grown accustomed to, and it's okay to say that he is getting lucky right now. I know some fans don't want to hear that, but it's it's okay. He is getting lucky. Um, you just kind of hope that that luck streak continues. Carson Wentz for the 2022 regular season has an overall grade for pro football focus of 63.1 versus Taylor Heineke's 50.3. The grades are a guide. They're not gospel. That said, is Taylor, in fact, the best guy to be the commander starting quarterback right now? I think he is just based on the fact that I think he's much more familiar and comfortable in this offense. Uh, You could see with Carson, he he was struggling at times to kind of get through progressions and really trust what he was seeing. And that's kind of just what a lot of quarterbacks go through in their first first year in a system. I mean, he's had to learn two new systems these past couple of years. So that's always going to take some time. Heineke has been in the Scott Turner offense for what seems like his entire career. So I think he's just more comfortable. And I think I've always thought that just going with Heineke makes the most sense because he's more comfortable. The guys seem to, you know, really play hard for him. And I think it's, I think this is kind of the best offense you'll get right now with with Heineke at quarterback. The commander's running back situation, uh, it's not an either-or situation. We're right now seeing a good bit of both Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson, and we expect that to continue if both guys stay healthy. Uh, The pro football focus numbers for both Robinson and Gibson are mixed, but each guy's overall grade is pretty good. Robinson's overall grade for PFF for the 2022 regular season is 78.4. Gibson's is 77.8. Uh, do you like one back better than the other right now? No, not really. I mean, they both offer different sort of running styles. Uh, Robinson is more is very much downhill. We'll get the gritty yards. And we saw that with that, that third down conversion where he was stopped in the backfield like two or three times. And That's just a three-yard rush. But we're grading that extremely high just because, you know, it's a three-yard rush, but he broke two to three tackles to get those three yards. Um, and Antonio Gibson is just more – he's better out in space – shiftier it's why you've seen them use him a lot at sort of wide receiver and stuff get him involved in screen games i think it's a very i think it's a perfect combination between the two of them um and i think like you said if they stay healthy it's just a good it's a good pairing when you hear ron rivera and people in the media and fans right now sing the praises of the commanders running the ball so much and being so committed to the run do you, as an analytics guy, like cringe? Because as we know, this can be a really antiquated way of looking at NFL offense. And, you know, so often having a lot of rushing attempts is a function of having leads and not the other way around. Or for this commander's team this season, is the commitment to the running game a real thing and a legitimate reason for the team's recent success? Yeah, I've, I've gone back and forth on this. Um, 
you see a lot of these teams that are they're starting to run the ball a lot more just because quarterback play is not where it, they want it to be. Um, and and I yes, I work for an analytics company, but I do believe that you still need to run the football to be successful. Um, I know it is, like you said, a little antiquated, but when you have quarterback play like the commanders have and some of these other teams have, your best success, your best chance at success is running the ball. It's not going to look pretty. Like I said, they're still really not dominating on the run game. And if you watch some of the blocks, interior three are still still really struggling, um, but you're just getting three to four yards. And it's a tough, tough way to win a game because you need everything to fall into place. You need to be efficient on third downs. If you're getting yourself into those third and shorts, you still need to be efficient you know, at converting those third and fourth down situations. Um, but yeah, obviously I would love for them to pass the ball more. It's a much more efficient way to score points, to move the offense. But if you don't have the quarterback that can consistently do that, which we've seen, Heineke has struggled at times and Wentz has struggled at times. And we've seen quarterback play here for the past 20 years. So I think running the ball is their best way at winning football games right now. You just mentioned something that is so interesting about this NFL season, and that is like the return of the running game. Uh, Passing offense is down. Rushing offense is up. Uh, This is, of course, in complete contrast to the way that things have been trending in the NFL for years. Why do you think that this is happening this season? It's just the cyclical nature of the NFL. I mean, I think you see it all the time now where they go run heavy, pass heavy, run heavy, and it's... It's more so due to the teams are becoming pass heavy. They're they're spreading the ball out more. Of, sorry, my dogs are annoying. More of these four wide receiver, five wide receiver sets. So teams are playing too high. They're not, you know, they're playing more defensive backs. They're playing less linebackers, less defensive linemen. Um, so that's when teams are going to start running the ball more. They're going to start, you know, if you only have six, seven guys in the box, you're just going to run the ball. I mean, it's just you know, the, the smart way to go about it. And, and if teams are going to continue to play these two high sh- coverages, these two high defenses, then you're just going to keep seeing teams run the ball. And we'll see it kind of switch back and teams will go back to single high and then you'll see teams throw the ball more. And it's just kind of, like I said, that cyclical, cyclical nature of just kind of how the NFL works. We're talking commanders with pro football focus senior data analyst Nick Ackridge, who's a big commanders fan. His dogs are helping out too. Uh, you hit on the commanders offensive line with the interior of the line still being a concern. What's your assessment of the play that the team is getting at the offensive tackle spots? And what do you think about this rotation at right tackle that the team has gone with in each of the last two games now, Cornelius Lucas and Samuel Cosme essentially have split snaps at right tackle 50-50 in each of the last two games. Uh, you don't often see something like that. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Like you said, you don't you don't see it very often. But what I've noticed in these past two weeks is that um, Lucas plays the first and third quarters. And if the drive kind of carries over into one of those quarters, he continues. Cosme's played the second and fourth quarters. And you don't really notice much of a, a drop-off in play when either comes in. They've both been really good. Um, so I think you're just going to kind of keep seeing that unless one of them really starts to fall off. I've always been more of a Cosme guy, but Lucas has stepped in and, and played really well. Um, I mean, Leno's Leno on the left side has always been solid. He's been had a couple, rough couple of games recently, um, but he's just kind of a consistent left tackle there. But the interior three have really been guys that have struggled. Um, more so than than the outside guys, so I don't know what you do there. Um, Norwell has been has been struggling. Um, 
hopefully if you get Wes Schweitzer back, maybe you can get a little better at center and right guard. But I think those three are kind of what you're going to have to stick with and just kind of hope they, they hold on. Yeah, well, the interior of the commander's offensive line is a problem, but the interior of the commander's defensive line, not a problem. Uh, The seasons that Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne are having, of course, are tremendous. Uh, Edge defender Montez Sweat is having a great season, too. Looking at the team's defense as a whole, is it now accurate to say that Washington has a top 10, maybe even a top five defense in the NFL. The expectation was that the team was going to have that last season. Uh, what about now this season? You know, I, I definitely think you can say that now. I mean, like we said, we the defense struggled early. Um, it seems to be like that every year now. But once they kind of get in their groove and get comfortable with each other, it turns into, like you said, one of those top five, top 10 defenses. And they're really, really dominating right now. I mean, the Texans are a bad team. We all know that. But when when you look at the PFF grades from last week, we had every single person who played above 40 snaps, they all had an above average grade, which I don't remember the last time I've seen that from a, a Washington team. Um, and it just kind of speaks to how dominating they, they've been. One of the more surprising things with the commander's defense from a pro football focus perspective is that on the one hand, the eye test screams that Deron Payne is having a monster season. But on the other hand, his overall grade for PFF for the 2022 regular season is just 57.5. I'm guessing that you have been asked this, but what do you make of this discrepancy? Yeah, it's always been one of those kind of mysteries um, that I get asked, like you said, a, a lot. Um, Deron Payne, I, I think I don't think his PFF grade will ever do him justice because he's the type of guy that's going to eat up double teams and he's going to you know make it easier for other guys. Um, and it's tough to sort of grade that for us. So for an example, if he's taken on a double team in the run game and he successfully just kind of holds that double team there, he's, he's getting a zero for us. You can make an argument. He should get a positive grade for that, but it's just kind of the way we grade it right now. He's getting a zero for that, but that can be seen as a positive. So his grades might not really reflect how great he's playing. Um, but I think you can kind of see, you know, if you, if you look at the grades of the people around him, like the Jamin Davises, the Jonathan Allens, those grades have really stepped up when he plays well. So I think that kind of more speaks to how he's played. The Duran Payne contractual situation. Uh, he's playing this season under the terms of the fifth-year option in his rookie contract. He, this coming off season, is set to be an unrestricted free agent. I did not like how Washington handled Duran this past offseason, reportedly not even offering him a contract extension while also not trading him. And so now the team this offseason may have to either franchise tag him or lose him via unrestricted free agency. But all of that aside, where do you stand on potentially paying Duran big money when the team already is paying Jonathan Allen big money and may well eventually be paying Montez Sweat big money? In other words, having so much money invested in one position group, as could be the case here with the defensive line, is that a no-no or should the idea always be to keep very good players? Yeah, it's it's another thing that I've kind of gone back and forth on because Deron Payne is, is, is a very valuable member to this defensive line. But like you said, if you invest all of that money into one position, then other positions are going to suffer. And um, I think a big area of improvement is, is the secondary. Um, I think you need better linebacker play, more consistent linebacker play, and just, just depth overall. So if you pay a guy like Payne, you're banking on the fact that he stays healthy, Allen stays healthy, and everyone is healthy around him because – you're committing all of that money to him 
into that position group, they need to stay healthy. And if they don't, you're kind of screwed because you can't afford to pay for depth guys and, you know, just, just better players around him. So I've gone back and forth on it. I still, I lean to the fact that I think they will pay him. I think he's had a great year. If it was me, I don't think I would, I would let him walk. Um, but it's, it's a really, really tough decision. I think it's kind of almost a, it's a lose, lose in, in a lot of situations because you lose if you let him go and you lose if you keep him and you can't pay anybody around him. So it's a really, really tough situation. Um, but I, I think I would lean to letting him walk. Yeah, it just would be brutal to lose to Ron Payne for at most a third round compensatory draft pick and maybe even not that via unrestricted free agency, uh, especially off the team having lost quarterback Kirk Cousins and uh, right guard Brandon Sheriff via unrestricted free agency in recent years. Uh, the commanders at safety, the seasons that Cameron Curl and Derek Forrest are having really are special. Uh, Washington for so long had struggled at the safety position, but the team now has two of the best safeties in the NFL this season for pro football focus. Cam's overall grade for PFF for the 2022 regular season is 85.6. Derek's is 82.0. What are your evaluations of those guys? Yeah, Curl. Curl's one of my favorite players. He's never really going to make, he's not going to make a ton of splash plays. Like you won't see him forcing a ton of turnovers, but you, you never, you rarely ever see him in the wrong position. I mean, might miss a tackle here and there, but he's always, always, always in the right position. And that's why he's always really graded well for PFF. You don't see a lot of busted coverages at his fault. You don't see a lot of mistakes coming from him. He's just a perfect Strong safety, perfect guy to play these two high coverages, but can also come down into the box. Um, I'm a huge Cameron Curl fan. And then Derek Forrest has really stepped up, and he's kind of the opposite. And he's played, he's made a lot of big impact plays, these interceptions, these horse fumbles and whatnot. But um, I think it's a perfect pairing right now. And it's kind of why they've moved McCain down to the slot now, because you have these two safeties and you just have to play them because they're just playing so well. The improvement of linebacker Jamin Davis, Uh, he for his 2021 rookie regular season had an overall grade for pro football focus of just 46.8. His overall grade for this 2022 regular season is a much better 62.5. He has been playing a lot, especially with Cole Holcomb having been inactive for each of the commander's last four games due to a foot injury. How have you seen Jamin be better this season? Yeah, just just quicker in his his processing and just more comfortable. I mean, I, I spoke to it a little bit about pain, you know, kind of being good and eating up double teams. It just makes things easier for him. He can shoot his gap. He can, you know, just play smart and sound defense. Just don't have to put a lot on his plate. They have these past couple of weeks, and it's been really impressive. You know, I think he was calling plays the past week or whatever, but um, he's just – He's just more, he's just quickly processing things and he's trusting what he's seeing and he's using his athleticism to his advantage. Is there a player on the commander's offense or defense who isn't getting enough credit, who, especially when viewed through the prism of pro football focus, is producing, but for whatever reason, isn't getting props for his producing? I don't know if there's there's someone I could pick on. I, I would have said Derek Forrest, but now he's he's one of our highest graded safeties at I think the PFF grades and, and the fan eye tests have kind of match, which is always great for me. I, I get less hate in, on Twitter, but I, I think they really have matched. I think the one player, and we've already touched on it, is Deron Payne that kind of don't really match. But, you know, I, I think the rest are really kind of matching up with what people see. 
Last topic for you. I know that you're a big Tennessee fan. Uh, my condolences with uh, what has happened with quarterback Hendon Hooker, him having suffered a torn left ACL. But I've been thinking about him as a potential quarterback target for the commanders in the 2023 NFL draft. Uh, a, how have you viewed Hooker as an NFL prospect? B, to what extent does this injury hurt him as a prospect? C, is he someone who the commanders should be considering come NFL draft time, especially because it may well be that you don't have to have a top 10 pick to take Hooker? Yeah, you, you opened up a wound from this past Saturday. That was, uh, <laughs> that was a tough one. Um, I, I tweeted out that you know the Hen and Hooker situation was very, very similar to the RG3 situation that, that Washington had in 2012, where you get this magical season, your quarterback's playing incredible, incredible offense, you get to, it's not the playoffs in, in college, but it's essentially a playoff game where you have to win um, and, you know, your team gets down. You're starting to try to mount a comeback and puts a foot in the ground, tears his ACL, fumbles it, puts the other team right at the goal line, and it just kind of matches up perfectly to that RG3 thing and, it again, opened more wounds from that. Um, but I, I love Hendon Hooker as a Tennessee fan. I think what he did for Tennessee is incredible. He is a great quarterback. There are going to be questions about how he translates to an NFL offense because this college offense, you're not going to see it in the NFL. It's it's very it's very one kind of decision and get it out. One decision, either get it out or start moving. Um, there won't be questions about his arm talent. Great arm, accurate at deep levels, intermediate levels. The question is is going to be his offense. Can he translate from that Tennessee offense to an NFL offense? And I think. The injury doesn't help him, obviously, but I think it will give him more time that if he is drafted in the first round, you won't have to play him right away. You won't be tempted to play him right away and can give him time to understand an NFL offense more, learn that offense more, um, and just kind of hopefully step in year two, year three. Um, but I would, right now, without kind of going into you know the rest of the quarterback class, I would see him as a, a late round two, maybe mid round two sort of guy. Um, I, I just, I like to bank on guys that have played in, you know, NFL friendly offenses or, or can show that they're, they're processing at a, at a high level. And I think Hendon right now, there's going to obviously be questions there, but you can't question the arm talent, um, the athleticism and, you know, just the passion he's played with. I mean, he has brought a very, very bad Tennessee program back to, back to the top. Yeah, the epic win that Tennessee had over Alabama this season and Hendon Hooker's performance in that game, all-time stuff. Yeah, it was, that was my Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, and of course, the sting of Hendon Hooker's success off his lack of success at Virginia Tech is something that no Virginia Tech fan uh, can avoid. Anyway, Pro Football Focus Senior Data Analyst Nick Ackridge. Uh, great insight. Have a happy Thanksgiving. I appreciate your time very much. Yeah, anytime. Love him. Love him coming on. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. All right, so. 
No show for Thursday because that's Thanksgiving. Uh, no show for Friday because very little is happening on Thursday because it is Thanksgiving. But I will have an Oso oh special show for you on Saturday. So a show for Saturday, what will be episode 450. It will be a jam-packed show. Uh, in-depth preview of the 6-5 and five Commanders versus the 5-6 and six Atlanta Falcons at FedEx Field Sunday afternoon at one. I'll give you a Goldilocks pick for the regular season finale for Maryland football. Six and five Terrapins home to four and seven Rutgers Saturday at noon. I'll talk Capitals. So the Caps are home to the Philadelphia Flyers Wednesday night at 7.30 and home to the Calgary Flames Friday afternoon at two. Uh, I'll talk Wizards. The Wizard at the Miami Heat Wednesday night at 7.30 and then at the Heat again Friday night at eight. And I'll talk College Hoops. Uh, number 23 Maryland is home to Coppin State Friday afternoon at 4. Georgetown is home to American Wednesday morning at 11.30. Number 5, Virginia is home to Maryland Eastern Shore Friday evening at 6. And Virginia Tech is home to Charleston Southern Friday night at 8. Have a great rest of your Wednesday. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Have a nice Black Friday. And I'll talk to you on Saturday. We're um, a, a week away from Thanksgiving. What is your favorite Thanksgiving tradition, or what, what do you like, enjoy most about Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving? We're talking about Thanksgiving now?